You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. One day I understand. One day go see the baby be born and come back. You're a Major League Baseball player. Did I not tell you? Yes, you did. Oh, see, don't answer. I, this, these are all rhetorical questions because you know I told you and you know I'm Analytics bad. don't work at all. It's just a crap to some people who were really smart made up and tried to get in the game because they had no talent. This kid is a gamer. He's a follower. He's a playmaker and a shot smaller. In case you didn't know, I got T-Bow. He shattered the mold. And all he does is win. All, all, all he does is win. Hello and welcome to Hot Takedown, 538's sports podcast. I'm Chad Matlin, an editor at 538. With me in the studio, it's Neil, the stat man, Payne. Hey, how are you doing, Chad? I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. He's wearing a Tiger's hat. Yeah, what's going on with the Tiger's hat? Yeah, well, you know, with the Mets season in such shambles and such disgraceful state, I've decided to kind of, you know, I'm just going to wear random hats from now on. You know, I like baseball. I like being a baseball fan. There's nothing uh, left to play for in this Mets season. So, you know, I'm just going to enjoy the sport of baseball. It's a very simple hat. The and simplicity then, you know, of the Tigers hat. There, there's a simple joy to what you're trying to express, which is just enjoy the sport. I just like the sport. You know, I like Major League Baseball, you know. And and uh, we should at some point on our, our various podcasts, we should talk about what do you do when your team is out of contention and you want to pick a bandwagon team for the playoffs. I think I we think that, that should be week. a project. We could, do, we, could do a, we could do a sort of who to pick like it with Everybody needs a backup thing. team. Yeah. I yeah, would like to know team. who my backup team is in the NBA because it's never the that, team that well, yeah, the I Knicks like. are yeah. the Knicks and Mets are such just who is my so it's like a sister city almost. Yeah. Yeah. Neil, Neil, you should do that for the site. Just like whoever the playoff teams are, trying to you know forecast that for people at the site, and then we'll talk about it. On <laughs> you have air. an assignment. Oh man, just on on air, just getting an assignment isn't that exciting? <laughs> I'm not your editor. Not anymore, even either, from so, my yeah. editor. Um, the other that other voice you heard uh, was Kate Fagan, uh, ESPN W columnist and Hot Takedowns senior correspondent for. The U.S. Open? The sneaker industry. Oh, the sneaker industry. Okay. I don't, I don't think I've ever mentioned your great kicks before on air. What? Right? Really? We don't talk about your no. sneakers. Maybe we I talk, to talk about, about it, it everywhere else that I well, assume I've talked I about it I realize that here. your Instagram is basically a sneaker gram. Like, it's just about yeah. your sneakers. People like the sneakers. You got to give should. the people what they like. They're great sneakers. I'm wearing my Royals right now, my Jordan 1 Royals. Yeah. You talk about Neil's hats and you don't talk about my sneakers. I know. Yeah. I realize this is crazy. There's a double standard. I realize. I'm sorry. All right, good. That's what we're going to do from now on when you You got to put your feet up on the on the table, though, when I introduce you. Great yeah, for listeners. Uh, all right. On today's show, we're going to get right into the NFL because the NFL is back. It was and Chad, how long was it going to be before we <laughs> talked about the NFL originally? We, listen, it was months. It was months. Aside from little Ezekiel Elliott talk. Um, Mina Kimes, our ESPN colleague, will join us for the segment. And you know what? Let's just get right into the segment. Let's not do any more preamble. Mm-mm. Let's say hi to Mina. Mina, welcome back to the show. Hey. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for stopping by. So I think we can't really start anywhere, but was it your living room or your kitchen that Aaron Rodgers visited <laughs> for your uh, profile in, in the ESPN the magazine? What was it like to, to meet Aaron? And then, you know, what did you guys talk about beyond football? Wow. Well, it was uh, primarily a living room, although he also saw my kitchen and briefly my bathroom. So I guess that, that was, those were the scene of the various crimes but um mostly on my sofa and it seemed like he had more on his mind than just football when you were talking to him yeah um so this is the the cover of our nfl preview issue uh profile Aaron rogers and we talked about a lot of things we haven't had him in our magazine we haven't done a profile of him since about 2010 or 11 uh he hasn't done a lot of 
stories since then, or interviews rather. So there was a lot to cover. We talked about religion at length, his thoughts on sort of the, some of the various going-ons in the NFL, Colin Kaepernick, the anthem protests, and then just kind of his personal life and why he's so private. One of the compelling tensions in the piece is Aaron Rodgers, as, you, as you're setting it up, Aaron Rodgers seemingly wanting to engage about topics and about himself because he feels like the stories have been written and talked about without his input. Did you get the sense, even with him in your living room eating those not-so-fresh, perhaps fresh berries, we're still not sure, uh, did you get the sense that he personally really wanted to put his stamp on certain things, or did it seem like a PR move to try and at least have his voice out there again? I think it's a, it's a mix of things, Kate, because definitely the fact that the sto- there's been a lot of stories about him over the last couple of years that he probably didn't like very much. I know for a fact he didn't like very much, and he certainly had come to the realization that maybe being as private as he is and being as quiet and not responding to things at a certain point was allowing those stories to proliferate, which is just kind of how modern media works, right? And a big part of the reason why celebrities do these interviews at all is um, so that their voice is out there. It's kind of like, you know, you, you have a page of Google hits, and if there's nothing positive, the negative will overwhelm it. But on the other side, he didn't ask me in advance at all what I planned to talk to him about. So he had no idea coming into it which subjects we would cover. He had no requests or, you know, do not talk about this. He certainly, he said no to things, certainly, but there was no discussion beforehand, which I think also signified that he was willing to go to areas maybe that he wouldn't have chosen to. So what did he say about the season coming up? I mean, it seemed like there was a lot on his mind beyond (laughs) football, but uh, he's now 33. He's sort of watching a lot of the, his predecessors fall away. Manning, obviously out of the league. Brady may or may not ever lead the league, but this sort of, this generation that he was always brushing up against and trying to to be an equal to is largely fading away. And he's now the, the sort of veteran, old, old, great, that that's floating around the NFL aside from Brady, really. Um, you know, what's he? What's what? What's he? And what did you glean about the Packers season coming up? Well, so yeah, right. He's thirty three. Which now that you know Brady is forty, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Thirty three is kind of the new twenty five in the. <laughs> I mean, actually, that's an interesting trend in the NFL too, where the quarterbacks are aging a lot. A lot of the best quarterbacks in the league right now are in their thirties. Um, some of that, ha- there, there's a million reasons for that. Some of it is health, some of it is longevity, style of play, the NFL rules. But all that said, he has quite a runway ahead of him, right? And as far as what he said about it, you know, we talked a little bit about this idea of him winning another Super Bowl and whether that, that weighs on his mind, how that'll affect his legacy. And he says it it doesn't because of, you know, this personal journey he's been on. But it is undoubtedly, I think the biggest question about him and this team is always not always, but it's long been, well, you have this this incredibly talented quarterback, which most franchises wait generations for, and are they wasting it, right? And personally, my analytical view is that it's not quite fair with the Packers, because they have built a great offense around him. They've just been sort of hampered by injuries over the last few years. But the defense really struggled last season. They've devoted a lot of resources to that side of the ball, um, especially in the secondary, which was their major weakness last year. They had one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL. I think it'll look better this year, which is why I believe they're probably one of the top two or three teams in the NFC. 
Now, Mina, you mentioned Tom Brady and the fact that he's the ripe old age or young age of 40. What what do you think about just the fact that he is trying to do something that we really haven't ever seen a quarterback do, which is play into their 40s and still have, you know, productive Super Bowl caliber seasons? I mean, the list of quarterbacks who are 40 or older that had any kind of career at all uh, is is so small. Is this going to be a case where, you know, we we talk about Brady and, and marvel about him? Him, and then all of a sudden, one day, he just falls off like we've seen from Peyton Manning and some of these other guys, you know, that when the drop comes, it's steep and you can't predict it and it just happens. And then the Patriots kind of fall apart at that point. Or uh, wh- wh- do you think that just, you know, because he is such a special athlete and arguably the greatest uh, quarterback of all time, that he might be able to buck all of NFL history when it yeah. comes to old quarterbacks? Well, I think if anyone can do it, it's Tom Brady for a number of reasons, one of which is he hasn't had the same injury history as Manning. You know, we make that comparison a lot, how Manning fell off a cliff, but Manning basically had a neck made of Swiss cheese at that point. You know, I mean, there's some key, and and nobody has treated their body the way Tom Brady does, has, you know, not eating anything but avocados or whatever he does. So all of that matters. And the other thing that's notable about him is last season – you expect quarterbacks when they age, there's there's a curve, right? And there's a, there are certain things that drop off the deep ball. His deep ball was better than it's been in years last season, which it just didn't make sense. And it's part of the reason why the Edelman injury isn't horribly concerning because, you know, they've got these speedsters in Cooks and Hogan, and it looks like Brady will still be able to take advantage of that. Um, so... I don't know. I I don't, like you said, this has never happened before. I mean, only three quarterbacks have even played half a season over 40, much less at the level Brady intends to. But for a variety of reasons, if anyone is situated to do it, it is him. Okay, Mina, this is a question that touches both Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and analytics to some point, because we always attempt to quantify clutch and athletes who seem to transcend in moments and what makes a a champion and in any way that we can analytically quantify that we attempt to do now in the profile of Aaron Rodgers you do allude to some of the lore around his competitiveness and yet Aaron Rodgers articulates in really interesting ways that may perhaps he's not fueled in the same way just by like Super Bowl champion and that's it and that he's seeing life in a more full way My question comes in that, did you glean any sort of insight from Aaron Rodgers or do you have any personal opinions on whether athletes truly do have some sort of competitive nature that will help them excel past their contemporaries who also are competitive or some of it just being luck and hard training and the right pieces? Like, where do you land on that whole spectrum? I think when you look at quarterbacks and you look at the most successful quarterbacks just right now, let's look at the top list, you see patterns in their biographies, in their personalities. I mean, Rodgers and Brady, who are 1A, 1B, right, you know, amongst the NFL, the quarterbacks in the NFL today and arguably history at some point, they're very different guys. And I think anyone reading my story would probably come away from being like trying to imagine Tom Brady answering some of those questions and being mm-hmm. at a total loss, right? Like what would happen Even if you Even showing asked, up to your apartment, I'm honestly, <laughs> would be yeah. baffled by. There's just a million things, right? But they have so much in common in some way. I mean, they're both competitive psychopaths and they're also doubted at some points and you look at some of the top quarterbacks in the NFL Drew Brees Russell Wilson also guys who 
were, you know, doubted because of their height and their, some of their physical attributes at various points, and now have gone on to become sort of amongst the most prolific players in the NFL. So I do think there's something to this idea that players who are both competitive to a certain level have these obviously raw abilities and also encounter doubt at a certain point in their careers do have a tendency, you know, it is, a, there is a trend there, I think. It's not, I, I don't want to say, it's not like a hot, <laughs> I don't want to say it's supported right. by analytics, but you look at them and you, you see it, right? You see the connective fiber. It's definitely there. Well, yeah, Neil, I'm curious, you know, when you look at Greg Harbacks, is there a connective fiber from the numbers, which is to say, do you need a certain level of a deep ball or do you, or do you need a certain receiver core around you or else, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are or is quarterback, similar to what we talk about a lot with tennis where tennis is a particularly mental game you need a certain amount of physical skill but you know because it's such a singular or an individual sport unless you're playing doubles of course but like there's so much margin for error for something to go off mentally is quarterbacking a little bit like that too well it probably is i mean it's kind of interesting when you look at there are certain receivers, for instance, we, we've tried – football is so notorious in its inability to kind of parse out the contributions of different players, so it's it's really difficult. But we've tried to kind of say, okay, which receivers tend to have a measurable impact on their quarterbacks? And you look at somebody like Randy Moss, who everywhere he went, he made his quarterbacks better. One of those quarterbacks was Tom Brady. And, and from that point on, you know, Brady had Rob Gronkowski. He had Randy Moss. He had people that were known for kind of, uh, you know, elevating stats when – when a quarterback played with them, when Brady played with them. So you would think, oh, well, then maybe Brady is being propped up by guys like that. But then you also have cases where uh, Brady's primary receiver one year, I think, was like Rache Caldwell or someone like yeah. that. And and Brady has made do with, you know, in some cases, less receiving power than maybe any other quarterback in the league on a couple of occasions and had some of his best seasons. So... You know, this is why it's so difficult to kind of get a read on that Brady-Belichick dynamic that we've talked about a lot, uh, and also just Tom Brady in general, because he ha- you know, has had seasons in which the team has done really well, but he was really kind of uh, you know, almost like a game manager, maybe just a little bit more than that early in his career. He's also had seasons where he just had elevated a really ragtag team, uh, a supporting cast around him, and created one of the best offenses of all time off of that. So, yeah, I think it's difficult. And the other thing I was going to ask you, Mina, about your opinion on what when a, when a quarterback does age and when they do kind of fall off, what is it that they lose? You mentioned the deep ball. Is it really like just the arm strength, like we think of pitchers in baseball, kind of just losing their velocity and they can't make the same throws? Is it mobility inside the, the pocket? Or is it something else about just like the game becomes too fast for them in, in terms of not, not necessarily their ability to process it, but maybe just like the confluence of all the things happening around them that their athleticism has to be above a certain level. And when it drops off, maybe it's just impossible to play quarterback and, anymore. And, and mean, if I can jump in before you answer that, how many examples do we have to even study this phenomenon? Because I feel that most teams would already have their successor and be like, peace, before we'd have like, a large sample size to be... The thing about the Packers, Aaron Rodgers was the successor. (laughs) Right, so it's perfectly applicable to this story. I mean, how how much actual research do we have with a bunch of, like, quarterbacks out there who are old to truly see how it happens? Favre is a good example because true Aaron Rodgers took his place, but he kept playing, guys, for several years, right? So even though sometimes these quarterbacks stop being starters, they stick around. You have very few guys who walk away at their peaks in the NFL, 
you know, I think of our colleague, Matt Hasselbeck, who was a star in Seattle. And, you know, he, he hung around for a while as a backup. And he got many games after Luck was out and performed quite capably, I might add. So we do have a lot of um, examples of quarterbacks in their late 30s where we can study their, you know, arcs of their careers and see what goes. And you, you nailed it, what goes. if It's pretty much athleticism and arm strength, um, which is why Manning, I think, people thought, well, if any quarterback can survive this, it's it's Peyton Manning because he's so cerebral, right? And that doesn't go. So someone who should be able to play at a continuously high level was him, but, but you saw even his intermediate throws started fluttering at a certain point. He was never a mobile quarterback, certainly not the way Rodgers is, uh, extremely mobile and athletic. But it, when it goes, it goes quickly. So I that's why I'm always so reluctant to say, oh, Brady's going to continue to be great because there's no signs of it regressing but it's gonna happen at some point so i want to turn away from quarterbacks which is heresy i know when we do uh, nfl talk but let's go down to dallas where after a few weeks of talking about some of the socio-political implications of ezekiel elliott's suspension i think we should talk a little bit about what that's going to mean on the field for the cowboys um and you know mina as you look at the cowboys team it's sort of remarkable that it's only been a year of the Prescott Elliott era of, of, of that that age, and you know it wasn't so long ago that we were wondering what the Cowboys were going to be, and now all of a sudden they, they seem to be the class of the division and, and up there in the NFC overall. And so I'm wondering, you know, where you see this all shake out. You know, is the running back position in general something that six games you can sort of take or leave? And it's not going to have a huge impact on the season. Normally, I would say it's not a big deal at all, especially with the Cowboys' offensive line, you know, being the best or top three offensive line in the NFL. But Ezekiel Elliott is a very special player. His impact on offense is how it helps Dak Prescott in so many ways. I don't think can be underestimated. However, I saw the Cowboys as regressing even before the suspension came down for a number of reasons. One of which is they got pretty lucky last season. They finished seven and two in close games, which is usually a sign that you're going to regress. And they lost half their defense, which is being really underestimated. They lost three of their four starters in their secondary. Um, they've got a bunch of suspensions on that side of the ball. Uh, it's not really clear where their pass rush is going to come from, aside from rookie Taco Charlton. So there's a lot of questions with this team. I didn't think they were going to run away with the NFC East to begin with. And then to add the loss of Elliott for however many games into that equation, I just think it's going to be a huge problem for them. So, I mean, we talk so much about you know the big pillar teams in the NFL, but then where it can get tricky is understanding the up-and-comer teams and which ones were perhaps flashes in the pan to some degree last year and which ones you think have staying power. Like, do we think yeah. Derek Carr is back in Oakland and the Raiders will be good again, but then hopefully keep a healthy car and, and do something? What are we thinking about the Bucks with Jameis Winston and the Titans with Mariota? Like, where are where's that next level of team going to come from in your mind? Yeah, so the... Uh... I call them the hipster teams every year. That's true. The I think that, like, that way. The football analysts, you know, really like. And, you know, you mentioned one of the Bucks. I think our team, a lot of people think, have a good chance of taking a leap forward. The Titans is a team that's just being loved by football Twitter and, you know, analytics Twitter. And a team that I personally like a lot that I think could take a step forward is the Eagles, which, you know, I mentioned earlier that the Cowboys were 7-2 and two in close games. The Eagles were 1-8. and eight. So they were unlucky last year. They have a very, very good defense, and they just gave Carson Wentz a bunch of weapons, which also is what's happening in Tennessee um, with Mariota. Again, a very, very good rush offense that just got a couple of great wide receivers thrown into the mix. Um, So 
those are the teams I think that are probably most likely to take a leap forward. I actually think the Raiders this season, who got very lucky in close games last year and, you know, had a bunch of fourth quarter comebacks with Carr, I think they could struggle a little bit. They're in a very hard division. Their defense did not really improve in a meaningful fashion. So that's a team that is very hot and well-liked that I think might be a little overrated now. Yeah, I mean, you talked about the Eagles, and they spent a shocking amount of time last season near the top of uh, Football Outsiders power ratings, and uh, I never knew what to actually kind of make of that, because I know that, you know, Football Outsiders kind of caught some flack for that, but then at the same time, if you look at, like you mentioned, you know, a lot of the luck-based metrics were were very low for them, Uh, and so I am wondering if if that's a team that, like, were they secretly one of the top five teams in football last year, and and they'll kind of, uh, you know, burst out this season or you know is is there something that maybe was being missed in the metrics last year so I think their defense was always great last season and will continue to be great and Jim Schwartz who's the defensive coordinator is a fantastic coach however the offense was super volatile last year and some of that was Carson Wentz being a rookie but a lot of it was that you know Lane Johnson was suspended but when he was in versus when he was out the metrics for Carson Wentz's performance was the the just the delta was extraordinary. So ideally having a better offensive line this year, more consistent in the addition of Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith should be able to, to help him play at a more consistent level the entire season. And if they do so, the defense should vault them, I think, towards playoff contention. So yeah, at some point we should do a study of the hipster teams and whether they are actually better <laughs> Then a random team would be, you know, on the rise or something like that. That'd be fun. And if they have like an uptick in popularity or jersey sales, or like if if there's any way, any metric to say, (laughs) like, oh, that is a people do think that's a cool team. The Sports Illustrated preview issue has those like that that list of the top five teams to keep an eye out for. Something we could use as a as a baseline. Anyway, (laughs) um, all right. So I mean, I know you have to go in a second, but um, let me let me just ask you about your Seahawks, whom you love so. How are you feeling about a team that was once sort of you know, the, the perennial contender of the Patriots, it seemed like. I mean, that once was, what, two or three years? but um, So long ago. Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> is uh, are, you think Russell Wilson is back in, in full force? What's the what's the readout of for the Seahawks faithful? Well, I'd say they're still a perennial contender given that they've made it, you know, deep into the playoffs-ish every season <laughs> over the last few years. But um, the Seahawks are going to be really interesting this year because – I'm sure you guys saw they traded for Sheldon Richardson. They probably have the best defense right now that they've had since the Super Bowl run, if not as good. Um, They have the best, I think, front seven in the NFL with the addition of Richardson. It is absurd. I don't have in front of me, but our former colleague, Shilka Patia, tweeted something like eight out of 11 players are pro bowlers on the defense. It's insane how stacked they are. And on top of that, they play in a very, very diminished division. Um, you know, the NFC West back when they made the run was quite good. You know, the Niners were so competitive. Now you've got San Francisco and Los Angeles, who I don't think anyone thinks are going to compete. And the Cardinals, who, like the Cowboys, lost a lot of players on defense and have a lot of aging stars. So they have a pretty easy path towards winning the division. The only concern remains, as always, the offensive line. And if Russell Wilson gets hurt again, um, you know, goodbye. But if he stays healthy, I think they're pretty easily one of the top two contenders in the NFC. 
Yeah, and it bears mentioning that uh, our colleagues at ESPN Stats and Info, when they kind of use their football power index to project out the season, they currently have the Seahawks as the number two most likely team to win the Super Bowl. Now, I should mention that they give the Seahawks a 10% chance and the Patriots are number one at 33%. So it's not not exactly a close second uh, in the the numbers. But, oh, and Kate is pointing to her New York football giants. 2.1%. Which comes in uh, right behind the Minnesota Vikings. Feel good about that. Uh, and we Another should, hipster yeah. team, by the way. Vikings. Yes, <laughs> Vikings, yeah. There are, yeah, a lot of hipsters like them. And we should say that 538 will have its own projection system along with the ELO ratings and the records and the chance to win the Super Bowl up uh, later this week in time for the first game if all goes well. All right, Mina, we know you have to run, uh, but thanks for stopping by and talking about the NFL for a while. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mina. Talk to you thanks, soon. Mina. Before we get to our significant digit of the week, let's get a word from one of Hot Takedown's sponsors. Hot Takedown this week is sponsored by 1-800-Flowers. Is there someone in your life whom, you know, you want to send a little something special to? Something maybe you, you want to apologize for? Something you just want to show? A token of your love? If so, there's no better way to do it than by sending your special someone a bouquet from 1-800-Flowers.com. Nothing types the excitement of a 1-800-Flowers bouquet. And right now, when you order a dozen multicolored roses for only $29.99, 1-800-Flowers is going to give you another dozen absolutely free. That is 50% off the original price, and you get two dozen roses. It's a beautiful arrangement of vibrant pink, orange, and purple roses that does not cost a fortune. They come from 1-800-Flowers and are picked at their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness. To order a dozen multicolored roses plus an extra bouquet for just $29.99, go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, and enter code TAKEDOWN at that radio icon. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, and that code is TAKEDOWN. All right, now back to the show. Okay, now let's move on to our significant digit when a telling number from the world of sports is brought to us today. I am bringing that number, and that number is four or 0.5. Let's go four. Okay. That's the number of American women remaining uh, in the U.S. Open on the women's side of the draw. There are only eight players remaining. It's, we're at the quarterfinals. There's only eight total players that could, that could win. And all four women, all four American women are in separate parts, se- separate matches. So we could have an all-American semifinals. Was that where the point five was coming? Meaning like 50% yeah. of the eight were... 50% women? would have been a better way to do it. Yeah. Okay. So, but, you know, we talk a lot about the decline of American tennis and whatever else. And obviously Serena Williams being sort of the, the exception to that rule, essentially. But here we are with Venus Williams being one of them, a, a, another old timer. Uh, and it seems to me like this is sort of a really fun, special, you know, possibility for, for an American Grand Slam having an All-American semifinals. Yeah, and I think, well, I think for people who are really into tennis, all of the names resonate with them. I think the one thing that American tennis is missing is really those stories that, like, transcend out of tennis. I mean, because right now it's just Serena... Williams and like people know Madison Keys, but you're not necessarily going to say like, oh, she's from here and this is right. her story. And like, and I Sloan think Stevens is the same way. It's been someone yeah. who you've heard about a little bit. Like and four or five years ago, through. you were like that. That's the young gun on yeah. on the scene. But I think the point where it will change is when one of those other they're not even kids. One of those other players makes their claim by like winning a major, and then we get 
their story revealed to us in like a larger way so then we can follow them better because I think right now it's still like insidery a lot Sloan's mm-hmm. a little bit more but it's still kind of insidery to understand all of the women that are making waves on the American side and certainly the one that we know the most about and kind of you know feel the most beloved about is Venus Williams who could be in her third final of the four uh, Grand Slams this year which is yeah, which came out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to your point, Kate, that, you know, Venus is the one we already know about. And maybe if she, uh, you know, advances and wins, it, it blocks an opportunity for us to know anything about uh, the next generation. So in a weird way, should we be rooting for Venus and the feel good story or should we be rooting for one of the young guns to kind of emerge? They'll have and plenty let of time. I feel like time. You root for the All-American semifinal. And then whatever shakes and out. Then, yeah, shakes I mean, out. like that would be so fun. It starts. It would start the semifinals. For the women's side, start on Thursday, so we have a few, uh, two more days of tennis to go before that. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll be watching and, and being jingoistic and just sort of <laughs> rooting for. Uh, for you're uh, gonna go over to Queens, or you're gonna watch on TV. I gotta fly to LA tonight. I can't uh, go over to Queens. Uh, I'm no not, Queens have I ever told you my U.S. Open story? Can I tell it to you really quickly? Yeah, do it. I was once going to a Mets game, surprise, surprise, and had a half hour to quick kill, and had never been in the grounds of uh, Arthur Ashe and, and the U.S. Open facilities over there. And so I was walking in the opposite direction of City Field towards Arthur Ashe and along this bridge just to see if I could sneak in and like just walk around but not actually go to a match. And some guy and a, a, a man and a woman come out and say, hey, looking for tickets? I said, no, because I wasn't, I wasn't trying to scalp. Yeah. I just wanted to sort of take a walk around. He said, oh, okay. And he sort of like walked away surprised that I would say no. I said, wait, are you giving, giving me, me tickets? tickets? <laughs> and he said, yeah, this is a day pass. We use them. We're leaving for the day. Here you go. And so I looked at the ticket and I was like, oh, that has a big dollar amount on it. And so I walked into Arthur Ashley, one match left, the semifinal women's match, Serena versus somebody, I forget who. And I get in the elevator sort of without thinking about it to go up to the top floor. And I get in the, the, the what do you call the person in the elevator? Usher. Yeah, yeah, the usher, you know, looks at my ticket to see what floor I need to get off. And he goes, oh, oh, no, you, you need to stay down here. You're like, you're playing in the match. So my friend and I <laughs> then go field level or court level, I guess, whatever yeah. it's called. Second row, watching Serena Williams on the in big screen final. There's Chad. Oh my God, <laughs> I, I've never seen a more impressive. So you missed the Mets game. Oh, a full four or five innings. Yeah, um, so I've never. Seen, he made it back for the end. Made it back. I would have been like, Priorities, eh, huh? whatever. Um, I've never seen a more impressive athlete in per like that. In prox- in that proximity, right yeah. uh, b- before it was really special. Um, so go my 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 hot tip: go to tennis if you can. Wander Everybody. wander around and wait for someone to give you the best seats yeah. in the house. <laughs> um, it is a good hack for for all of you in New York. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's uh, let's say that does it for this week's show. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Chad. Uh, our producer is Katie Ferguson. Alice Wilder is our intern for the final week. Thank you, Alice. You were a delight this summer. We got production assistance from Tony Chow. You can email us at podcast538.com. We would love to hear what you think. Find us on your favorite podcasting app on Apple Podcasts as well. iTunes.com slash 538 is where you can find that. While you're there, leave a review and a rating of the show. It helps others discover the program. Our theme song is by Mystery Mansion. I'm Chad Matlin. Talk to you next time.